Welcome to the Beargrass Christian Church Podcast. My name is Dee Decker, and I'm the Director of Communications here at Beargrass. This week, Dr. Lee Bond turns our focus from joy to love as we enter the fourth and final week of Advent. Here now is Dr. Lee Bond. George Bailey, uh, respected and beloved as a citizen of Bedford Falls, uh, loving wife, adoring children, perfect family, but a family member has lost big bucks. He's had a horrible day, and uh, the business he has fought so hard to keep going is doomed. And uh, George is desperate. He seeks a loan from the evil Mr. Potter, the one with the big bucks in town, and uh, George has no collateral, just a small life insurance policy, and Potter... Potter, being the kind soul that he is, suggests that George is worth more dead than alive. So George goes to a local watering hole to try to sort things out. To drown his sorrows, he is broken, desperate, hopeless. Sitting at the bar, he mumbles a prayer through his beverage. Uh, God, God in heaven, I'd, uh, I'm not much of a praying man, but uh, if you're out there, help me. Help me, show me the way. Uh, Things don't get much better at the bar, do they? He is knocked out by the husband of a teacher he has insulted. Uh, He's thrown out of the bar. He drives off in his dilapidated car. The weather's horrible, and so he slides off the road, runs into a tree, and uh, the owner comes out, cusses him out. He's having a great day. Then George stumbles away from the accident scene and onto the bridge, and he prepares to drown his sorrows in a different way. But but there's this divine intervention. The angel Clarence appears and jumps into the frigid river first, and George sobers up immediately, instantly, and he dives in to save Clarence, but it's really Clarence who saves George, right? Uh, Many of you know the rest of the story. George is given an incredible gift. He's given the opportunity to see what Bedford Falls would become if he were not there, if he had not lived. I wonder if we would all like to get a vision of that in our own experiences and lives as well. It's a Wonderful Life is one of my favorite films, maybe yours too. I, I cannot tell you how many times I have seen it. I've watched it again and again and again, but I, but I don't miss it. Every year is part of the season. I watch A Wonderful Life. The same is true of this story in Matthew 1 that Susan just read for us. I don't know how many times you and I have heard it or read it, but we read it every year. And yet something different happened for me this past week. Those, these two characters kind of came together. The film and the, and the scripture passages kind of intersected for me. And I wonder, I wonder if, if, if George Bailey and Joseph have some things in common here. Um, you know, think, think about Joseph and his part in this Christmas story. We can only imagine his agonizing struggles, what's going through his heart and mind. Now, a, a lesser man, 
A lesser man uh, might have gone on some talk show to expose uh, Mary or at least destroy her reputation in the community. A a lesser man would have let her uh, become severely punished by the laws of the day. Uh, A a lesser man would would have found uh, a way to really make life miserable for Mary. Uh, This could not have been easy for Joseph. Uh, Pregnancy. It's kind of a hard thing to explain away, right? Can you imagine him thinking about uh, future events, future conversations with his pals at the synagogue or gathered around tables with family at holiday gatherings? (laughs) Imagine some of the possible conversation. The baby's born and someone asks about the name. Joe says, "Ah, his name is Jeshua, Jesus. Uh, Oh, that's interesting. Why, Why Jeshua? Why Jesus? Well, because um, he will save God's people from their sins. Really? Well, he sure doesn't look like you. Uh, Joe stammers, well, he's, he's not, not really mine. Oh, by born a bit premature, eh? I'm starting to see the picture. Well, Joseph mumbles, well, like I said, he's not really mine. You know who the father is? Uh, he whispers, the Holy Spirit. What was that, Joe? What did you say? The, the Holy Spirit. What are you? What? What are you talking? The Holy Spirit. It was a virgin birth. I don't know what happened. Can you begin to see some of the potential conversations and problems? Uh, but, but, but God was present with Joseph long before he met Mary. He had learned how to become a, a righteous, considerate obedient, faithful, wise, loving person. He is not your average Joe. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to do the right thing. And so he agonizes, he prays, God, God, if if you're out there, if you're out there, help me, show me the way. And so he, he comes up with a solution and doesn't take the low road. Joseph resolves to take the highest road he can imagine, the highest road possible, unwilling, it says in Scripture, unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace. He plans to kind of dismiss her quietly, sweep her under the rug. But God has other plans. There's another divine intervention, and an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and provides instructions for the days and months ahead. Now remember... Remember, he does not have to do this, right? He does not have to follow these directions, but he does. And so Joseph dives in to save Mary and this baby to be Jesus, and God is with him, nudging him to do the right thing, even when he already thinks he has come up with the best plan. Well, that's a whole other sermon in itself right there, right? How... How many of you have done that? You, you have come up with the best plan you could come up with, and you prayed, you thought, you planned, that you came up with the best option possible, and then God knocks on the door of your heart and says, Hey, have you thought about this? No. Okay. Most of you know the rest of the story, but I wonder if the story would have happened at all without Joseph. 
he has, you know, such a small place in the story, in his story. In Christian art, as most of you know, he rarely appears at all. And when he does appear in paintings or artwork, he's usually depicted as kind of a worn out old man. There are a few paintings of Joseph actually holding the baby, but they're rare. They're hard to find. Similar patterns are in Christian music, you all know, right? Uh, there are lots of songs and carols about who? Mary, the mother of Jesus. In her own hymnal in the red books around you, you'll find her mentioned at least 20 times. But Joseph's name only pops up in that red hymnal twice, two times in the whole hymnal. One songwriter noticed uh, the discrepancy there and composed what he called Joseph's lullaby. Imagine Joseph singing to baby Jesus. He probably don't even, it's probably never even something you thought about. Joseph singing, the dad singing to Jesus. But he writes these words in his song, Sleep, little one, I watch you and your mother sleep. I wish I could do more. Straw is not good enough for you. Back in Nazareth, you know, I'll make a proper bed for you out of seasoned wood, strong and fit for a carpenter's son. Just, just wait till we get there. I'll teach you everything I know. You'll learn how to choose between cedar wood and eucalyptus and fir. You'll learn how to use the draw shave and the axe and the saw. Your, your arms will become strong, your hands rough, just like mine. You will bear the pungent smell of new, freshly cut wood. And you will wear shavings and sawdust in your hair. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You will be a man whose life centers on hammer and nails and wood. But for now, for now, little baby Jesus, sleep. Sleep. He doesn't get a lot of attention. He deserves more. So I invite you this morning to think about George, think about Joseph, think about yourself. Uh, what about these characters inspires you? Why do we continue to tell their stories and listen to their stories? What is it about people who choose to do the right things that attracts us to them? Uh, why are we drawn to folks who seemingly are in tune and in touch with God, who respond to the nudges all of the time and stay on the path that God wants them to stay on? Why are we moved by people who can love unconditionally? I don't know about you, but I'm hoping some of it rubs off. You know, I love to be around people who get it right, who do the right thing, who are so connected to God. I, I, I love to be in their company because they help me uh, restore my faith in God and in God's people. Maybe we hunger for these kinds of, of God nudges, these experiences. You know, we, we try to get it right. A homeless man's been in the news. Uh, he found a backpack with $3,500 and a laptop in it. Uh, what would you be tempted to do? <laughs> uh, folks were floored when he returned the cash and the bonus laptop to its owner. He confesses, you know, there are a lot of things I could have done with all that money, but it wasn't my money. So I gave it back. Uh, the owner learned that the backpack and cash had been returned, and he just about fainted. He said, this, <laughs> this is incredible. I can't. I never expected it. And now people all across the country are trying to help that homeless one simply because, what? He did the right thing. 
Just because he did the right thing. Why is that so rare? Why is, why, why is that the exception instead of the rule? We need more people to do the right thing. You know, doing the right thing and caring and hearing the voice and acting and loving, don't all of these things lead us closer to the heart of God? You know, ongoing research indicates that God has wired us this way. If we'll just listen. Researchers are challenging the centuries-old belief that we're just hardwired to be selfish people, uh, fight-or-flight creatures, that the dinosaur brain kicks in. Uh, some of that's part of human nature, but researchers are finding that we're also hardwired to be altruistic and kind and loving and compassionate and nurturing. This has helped us survive as a species because we can't do this alone. we got to do this together. Others have found that caregivers, lovers, live longer. It's not just about survival of the fittest. It's about survival of the kindness, kindest. You know, we have a woman mentioned in the concerns today, Helen Cox, 99 years old, and just a great spirit of joy about her. But she has cared for a daughter with disabilities who's now in her mid-70s. And I've got to believe as long as I've known Helen, she keeps that spirit, she keeps that love just because she loves her daughter so much and she wants to be around as long as she can to take care of her. Even in our design, we are God's masterpieces created to love. I appreciate one poet's reflections on this story from Matthew 1. He really offers it in the form of a prayer, but I think, I think there are places where we can connect. So I invite you to listen closely. He prays, oh God, Joseph's role may be the most difficult of all. His function is to be transparent, scarcely there. Oh, you know, he did get married to the stable in the first place, and later he leads mother and child to safety in Egypt. But the birth itself, you know, Joseph's absent. He's in the background. There must have been some agony there for him in the father's place, but not somehow the father, not able to do anything or say anything that would help, simply to stand and, and wonder what all this might mean for his beloved Mary and this baby Jesus that was not his. He says, oh God, I know that look of anguish Joseph bears. I see it in the news. When the disaster has hit hard and there's nothing to do except just to be there. I see it on the faces of a family where, where death has entered in and claimed a loved one from their circle. It's a look of helplessness, of bewilderment. But he says, Joseph stands for me, oh God. For all who recognize that heartache, the sense of powerlessness and lostness. In Joseph's look of anguish, God, I, I find my place and discover that I too belong beside this manger. God, we know you're out there. We know you're right here as well. You so loved us. You sent this unexpected gift and somehow, somehow in some mysterious way, he is Joseph's. And he is Mary's. And he is ours. And so, dear God, help us to love you. Help us to love him. And help us all to love the ones you love.
Amen. We would love to see you around the table at one of our weekend worship services. Our Saturday service is casual and meets in the chapel at 5 p.m. The Beargrass Praise Team leads us in worship during our Sunday 9 a.m. contemporary service. And at the 11 a.m. traditional service, the Beargrass Choir sings. All of our services include communion that is open to everyone. For more information on all of the activities happening at Beargrass, please visit our website at www.beargrass.org. Until next time, peace.